up world. Fast first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. We've got a fun show for you today. It's the spillover from Mailbag Monday. We're going to answer more of listener questions that came in for Mailbag Monday that we just couldn't fit in the show because it got too full. So that's what we'll do in the second two segments of the show. But first, got to talk about the big news. That's right, folks. The big news of the day is that the Blazers beat the Sacramento Kings for the second time this season to win their fourth straight game, their first four-game winning streak since the bubble. No, um, I mean, that's news, and it's big. And uh, and Dame and CJ were awesome. Dame had a 40-13 and 13 with zero turnovers. But we're not, we're not going to go deep on, on Kings Blazers here in the first segment. That's not how we get down. Instead, we're going to talk about the blockbuster trade that went down in the NBA. A four-team trade sending James Harden, or as, uh, as Mark Stein of New York Times so perfectly put it, dislodging James Harden from the Houston Rockets landing him in Brooklyn to team up with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. The deal also sent Karis LeVert to the Indiana Pacers, Victor Oladipo to the Houston Rockets, and Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Rockets, for their troubles, received four first-round picks and the right to swap four future first-round picks. My goodness! Now, what does this have to do with what is a four team trade that doesn't involve the Blazers have to do with the Blazers? Well, I think it has major implications. One, the Blazers were linked to this deal. Uh, you know, there was reported interest that or reported that James Harden, who's basically was orchestrating this trade and according to ESPN, even hired a separate representation to negotiate this trade on his behalf. What a weird league the NBA has become. But, but the part of the Blazers were on his list. Uh, they seem to be on his list for leverage purposes. He always wanted to go to Philly or Brooklyn. It sounds like it always came down to Philly or Brooklyn. And Brooklyn won out by pushing all these chips into the table. Uh, the chips d- probably didn't include a player um, like a blue chip type star. Uh, you know, Ben Simmons was the name that was tagged. And and quite frankly, Victor Oladipo and Karis LeVert are much worse players than CJ McCollum. So if you're just talking about like the single player that could have been involved in the trade, CJ certainly would have been uh, the best haul back for uh, back for Houston. But there's more factors than just sort of than how that all works, right? Um, it wasn't that it wasn't a one team swap. It was a bunch of moving parts. But I think it's important for the Blazers for a couple of reasons. The number one biggest takeaway is that I think CJ McCollum is going to make the All Star team now. I said this at the beginning of the year, heading into the season, that it was kind of like a, a sneaky, easy, easier path than it had been in the past for um, for CJ to make the All Star team. And and at the time, just like I'm, I'm gonna be frank with y'all, I didn't think he was going to be this good, and I didn't think he was. I, I if you had asked me to bet on it, I would have said hell no. I would have played that Bishop Bullwinkle drop. Hell no, to the no, 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 yeah, to the no. But I think even then, CJ's path was clear, is why I, why I said it. Uh, Russell Westbrook out of the West, Chris Paul on a team with Devin Booker, where they're going to vulture some of their uh, vulture some of their natural All Star votes when they were, would have taken up two spots last year. Clay Thompson injured, so there wasn't that obvious one. Uh, Jamal Murray, I didn't even really consider him, but it's going to be hard for the Nuggets to get two All Stars the same way it's going to be hard for the Blazers to get two All Stars. And I think Jokic and Dame are both locks. So there was this there was this path forward, right? There was there was a there was a place for CJ to get in there, and part of that path included. James Harden potentially getting traded 
to the east. At the time, you know, this was this was sort of his reported destinations. Here he landed there, and I think um, now there's just now there's a there is room. Um, there's you know there's going to be probably six guards who make the Western Conference All Star team. That's that is how it works. Then there's wild card spots. There could be as many as seven. So I think CJ. Right now, he's a, he's a lock, right? We're, but we're 11 games in. We got to get to about a game, you know, 35 before we get there. So, I think this James Harden news means CJ McCollum is going to be is going to be on on the All Star team. Um, he's he was fantastic again tonight. Um, him and Dame for the first time in their careers both had 10 assists in a game. It was it was it was a game that didn't feature a ton of defense, but uh, you know, CJ 28 and 10, Dame 40 and 13. That's it was pretty entertaining. Um, <laughs> Kings Kings and Blazers provide that for you, limited defense, particularly from the Sacramento side. But CJ's putting up all-star numbers, and there is now space in the West for him. I think the number one takeaway for me from the Harden trade is that CJ McCollum, his path to the all-star team is clear. And this is not something that I would have thought at the beginning of the year. I mean, I thought there was like a, a really, really, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought I knew that there was a path that existed, but I was not a believer. 11 games in, I'm a believer. He's as good as he's ever been, and he's... Y'all, he's going to be an all-star. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to I'm going to speak it into existence. I think the other sort of lesson from this James Harden trade as it pertains to the Trailblazers is the price to get a frontline star. And Harden still is that, y'all. Like, he's um, he seems like a terrible co-worker. Um, he really was awful the way he he got himself out of, out of Houston. It's, it's just the optics are terrible. Everything about it was bad on his end, um, unprofessional, immature, all these things. But he's one of the greatest scorers in the history of the league. Like he's a top flight player, even at even at 31 and a little bit out of shape. But I think the, the my takeaway here is that the the price tag for top flight players, like if the Blazers were in the future trying to add a top flight player to this group, um, let's just ignore the financial complications aside. But like say they had the right the right goods and wanted to um, to bring this this type of player in. You know, it's it's a lot. It's three plus first round picks and three plus pick swaps like that. That seems to be the going rate um, that to me, that's too much. That would be way too much for a team like the Blazers to pay. Um, I was if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I was sort of pro swinging you know, you might as well take a big swing knowing that you might strike out because I felt like the Blazers weren't. I feel like a, a big a big risky trade was the closest they would get to being a championship level team i'm not sure they're there now like i don't think they're a championship level team now but cj has raised his game to a point where i am much less likely to say he is the thing holding this team back like oh he's not a good enough number two he's he's elite right now he is fantastic so yeah those are i think that's as the Harden trade will have ripples, um, you know, throughout throughout the season. Obviously, uh, Brooklyn's taken a big swing and could be it certainly could be a, a championship level team, d- despite maybe being bad on defense. Uh-oh. Uh oh, the Rockets are probably out of the playoff race, I would guess, but they're not going to be bad. Oladipo John and John Wall is an okay backcourt. Like they're going to be a competitive team. They're not. Christian Wood is good. Boogie Cousins is a good backup. Like they're they've they've got players. They got my boy David Nwaba. They got players. So. But as the biggest takeaways, I guess, as they from this trade or have, of this big blockbuster, this league-shaking blockbuster, is just that CJ McCollum is going to be an all-star, and that the price for trading for players is too steep, and you should be thankful that the Blazers didn't pay it. And also, 
what what once was a favorite question of mailbag askers, mailbag questioners, is what about this James Harden trade? Or here's why I don't like the James Harden trade. Or here's why you do like James Harden trade. It's done. We got we got to we'll have to find new topics to to discuss each week. But that's not going to stop us. In fact, in the second segment, when we get back. Got a whole boatload of questions that didn't make the Monday Mailbag show, but I wanted to get to them and I promised I would. So that's what we'll do here in the second segment. Before I do that, I want to tell you all about Headspace. Look, even in the new year, it's hard to start a new routine. But if you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. If you are a non-American and you made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is still here to help y'all. It just doesn't say that in the copy, but I know they are. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that our members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Also, Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is a meditation is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnMBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. This episode is also brought to you by the good folks at rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com. They're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands and the specifications and the prices you prefer. And those prices, y'all, that's the best part. Because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And make sure while you're there, you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right. So we talked about James Harden trade, the two major implications for the Blazers. Good news for CJ McCollum. One, still on the team. Two, he's going to make his first all-star appearance this year. CJ McCollum, NBA all-star. 
But now it's time to switch over to the mailbag. Uh, on Monday, we we run a me- weekly mailbag segment uh, every Monday. Uh, if you're new to the program, and it is it has gotten a little full. It's gotten a little popular in the last couple weeks. And instead of running the show super long and making an hour long mailbag, I I just decided to stretch it out. So we're coming at you with a Thursday mailbag. Doesn't have the same alliterative ring to it, but uh, it's it'll it'll work for you. The first question comes from Plant Based Brain at Slime and Simon on Twitter, who asks, do you expect some shooting improvement from Rocco? That's Robert Covington. People seem to be insinuating that he's still shooting poorly, but he's actually not very far below his career average of 35% right now. So Slime and Simon sent this in when Robert Covington was indeed shooting 34%, and he'd actually, over his three games leading up to this question, he had been shoot. he was shooting... Uh, 44% from three. Like he'd been, he had just all of a sudden been way better. Um, And here's the thing. If I'd answered this on Monday, Slime and Simon, I would have been like, yeah, you're right. You know, people just forget that he had like a, he had a really nice little game. And then he, he struggled a little bit immediately after that one for eight against the Toronto Raptors. And it's like, well, he, maybe he sucks again, but then he hit four of seven threes against the Kings He's back, baby. He's shooting 34% from three again. I, I kind of think um, you're right, that right around his career average, 30, 34, 35, 36 is, is right, where you can, right, right where you can guess that he'll end up. Uh, it's mostly just um, consistency, like one for eight followed by four of seven. Maybe you, uh, maybe you split those up and shoot, I don't know, three of seven in both games or something like that. Uh, it's, it, it's mostly consistency game to game, I think is what people are reacting to. But uh, I do think you're right that early in the year he was really struggling to shoot. And I think it was highlighted by friend of the uh, friend of the show, Jason Quick on Twitter. And people kind of um, glommed on to that because he started the year shooting something like, well, I got it right here, shooting one for 13 to begin the season. He's been much better than that. He'll be fine. I'm not worried about him. Um, he still sometimes forces some, some threes that he doesn't have to but in general in general this particular podcast are not worried about Rocco's shooting ability next question comes from Nathan who asks do you think Portland benefits from no teams in Seattle Washington or Vancouver Canada should we think of Portland as having a stronghold on the Portland market or is really much bigger than that i.e. the whole northwest extending up to British Columbia and Alberta and over to Montana no I mean honestly hell no I (laughs) I, I'm not going to hit you with the with the uh, Bishop Bullwinkle on this one, but I the NBA is is not um, it doesn't have a regional pull like that. And to be clear, I do some work for NBC Sports Northwest, so I'm not going to go real deep onto the uh, Blazers television deal. But I will say this: there are people who are in the Seattle area who are blacked out from watching uh, Blazer games that are on national TV, ba- and also from League Pass. They're black black. Uh, they have blackouts from being in the quote local area. Even parts of northern Eugene, you can be blacked out from it. Uh, NBC is not available on uh, DirecTV, so that also makes it a little challenging. I think you just, um, it's just not universal. Like it just is, it just isn't everywhere. Um, the, I would imagine that people in Vancouver and Montana, like those, those people are Laker fans. Like, the league is just it doesn't have that regional pull people are fans of players um it's portland's portland's stronghold is specific and 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 deep in the portland market but the idea that the lack of teams in the northwest allows the blazers to sort of extend up the coast i think is um i think it's a misread of how nba fandom works 
Next question comes from Joe at JoeHammy1 on Twitter who asks, how much of our offensive efficiency consistency relies on opponents' lack of offensive production ball movement? It seems like when we play poor offensive teams, we don't have to put in real effort on defense and our offense becomes miles better. Yeah, I think, Joe, what you're experiencing here is that against bad teams, everything is easier. Um, there is definitely... When teams miss and teams don't score, you it's easier to get out and run. Um, certainly, if you're playing against a team that's bad on offense, um, it 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 just feeds into your own what you can do on offense. You're running off rebounds, you're running off turnovers, all those things. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of effort. I kind of think it's just like um, bad team bad teams make it easier. But I mean, look at this game tonight against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Kings lead the league in pace. They're one of the better, they're, I believe, top 10, eighth in the league in offense when, when I looked uh, prior to this game. They may have changed since then. But uh, they're a top 10 offense. They're first in the league in defense, and or first in the league in pace, and they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And the Blazers' offense came free and easy, and it wasn't because the Kings' offense was bad. In fact, for the most part, until the last like seven minutes of the game, until the Blazers really locked up, the Blazers were scoring relatively freely, and just so were the Kings. This is just sometimes bad teams let the Blazers be better on offense. Um, I don't think um, the Blazers' consistency relies on because they're putting out too much effort on defense yet. I'm, 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 not, I'm not buying that one. Next question comes from Plebe from Portland at Malnati on Twitter who asks, if Zach Collins was healthy, specifically I could see the Blazers going big against Domas Sabonis and the Indiana Pacers, who the Blazers play on Thursday. Um, if you're listening to this right when this comes out on Thursday morning, they play them this evening in Portland uh, on a back-to-back after leaving Sacramento tonight. Any chance Harry Giles gets the start with Covington at the three? Zero percent chance. Uh, I mean, maybe zero is is too low. No, <laughs> It's not too low. Zero percent chance. Uh, Terry doesn't want Terry doesn't change up his starting lineup uh, for specific matchups basically ever. Um, if he did, I don't think it's. It, I mean, Giles just isn't. He just isn't in the playing rotation right now. Um, and you can think that that's a mistake or whatever, but it's it is it is currently the truth, and there is no way that the. Um, that the Blazers go big against the Pacers. But I will say this, uh, DeMontis Sabonis seems like a really tough matchup for Robert Covington, so I'm very, very curious how the Blazers handle that. They don't really have a good four option. Like, they don't have... Melo isn't a great... You know, he's that's not it's not going to be his strength defending a guy like Sabonis. Uh, Nazir Little's probably too small to do it. Giles, honestly, might be their best option. I just don't see them cracking the seal on that one. So, uh, yeah, really interesting matchup because the Pacers are big. They're long at most positions. They're, um, they're going to be missing all the depot, like I mentioned in the first segment, but they, um, they're, they're, they're going to be, it's going to be a really fun game. I'm excited about it. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show, answering more of your questions. But before we do that, let's talk about betonline.ag. NBA games are happening basically every other night until they don't. NFL playoffs ramping up. We got big NFL playoff games this weekend. What I'm saying is it's betting season, y'all. And if that's your that's your cup of tea, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Like I said, there are a whole bunch of sporting events to happen. The NBA season's in full swing. NHL's coming back. And, uh, NFL playoffs. It's here, y'all. So 
Go to betonline.ag. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. And it's a special edition mailbag episode. Some spillover from Mailbag Monday. I didn't mention this when I teased it at the beginning, but if you're if you're new to the mailbag world, uh, two ways to get involved. Tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Mailbag's been overflowing these days, but that's not going to stop me from getting to them. Just might have to get to them a little bit later in the week. Might have to change up our rhythm a little bit. This next question comes from Plant-Based Brain at Simon Simon on Twitter, who I now realize I have organized to lead off both the second and the third segment. So congratulations, Slime and Simon. You're an accidental headliner. <laughs> Whoops. Slime and Simon asks, Today, Zach Harper of The Athletic noted that the Blazers, or we, well done, are 25th in twos made. That seems low for a team where Cantor plays big minutes. Do they slash we pick, pick a pronoun? plant-based brain come on do they slash we need to improve there and if so how so uh this is a little bit old now i believe that you asked this question on monday morning we're now you, it's, by thursday things have changed a bunch in the league i didn't relook this up but let's just assume the blazers are bottom 10 in the league if they're not uh, bottom five in the league let's say they're bottom 10 in the league i think this really just is um a question about Yusuf nurkic he had he is the blazers two-point beast right he's going to be the guy who soaks up a bunch of those two-point buckets if cj is going to take a lot less twos and he and he is he's he's cut down on his and his long two diet to, to shoot threes uh the guy who starts at center and plays a bunch of minutes um you know Cantor is playing big minutes but he's still playing less than nurk like they're basically splitting but it was more like uh you know 26 22 not 24 each and nurk was nurk has been bad but here's the thing Nurk found his rhythm against the Sacramento Kings. And here's my theory on Nurk finding his rhythm. The Kings, Rashawn Holmes is getting a little bit of foul trouble and was just playing big minutes. And the Kings' other center is Hassan Whiteside, and he is not a very good basketball player. So Luke Walton chose to do something a little bit different, go deep into the deep into his bench and play uh, Chemezi Metu, who is a guy who came up with the Spurs and is a first-year king. And he's their third center. And he comes in, and Nurk absolutely dominated this fool. Ripped him at the top of the key, shoved him around on the boards, just had just physically dominated the matchup. And I, f- I feel like that sort of unlocked Nurk for the last seven minutes of this game where he was just like, oh yeah, if I, if I focus, I can just dominate people. He played against someone who was not even close to his level, and it kind of clicked clicked for him a little bit and he was really good this is the best nerd game of the year best absolutely the best nerd game of the year against the against the kings that might be damning with faint praise and that's not what i intend to do i'm i'm trying to say nerk was good he was patient he played big he tried to dunk on people he was physical 18 and 12 with two steals and three blocks he was he was awesome in this game like he was he was just really good and because he was really good he played 30 minutes and guess what he made six two-pointers Damian Lillard made five two-pointers. CJ McCollum made four two-pointers. Robert Covington, zero. Derek Jones had two. They were both dunks. But this is your guy. Like, the guy who scored, who makes twos, it's going to be Nurk. And the reason why the Blazers were bottom five and twos is because Nurk was bad. If he gets right, there's your solution. 
Next question comes from Tim, who asks, what team in the NBA has the biggest vendetta or rivalry with the Blazers? I say it's the Denver Nuggets. Russell Westbrook's career ended with the Wave, as did Paul George. Both of those dudes are in the league. Paul George plays on an awesome team. Um, I really, I know that folks don't like Paul George, um, but like the Clippers are really good, and Paul George is currently balling. So, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't think it's true. In any case, Tim continues. Team specific, I feel like the Nuggets cannot stand the Blazers. I don't think of that as a team we hold as a team we hold grudges. Maybe the Lakers, but who doesn't hold a grudge with the Lakers? Yeah, I don't think the Blazers have a rival. Is I think is I think is the real truth. I think they kind of have sort of like really low level beef with the Utah Jazz. I kind of think there's like a simmering rivalry with the Nuggets, but Jokic doesn't really, he's just not a rivalry guy. The dude like barely has a pulse. Like, I mean, I mean that as a compliment. He just like, he's just vibrating at a different frequency. He has no idea that you hate him because he's just out there hooping. Um, these these things are are born in the playoffs, um, and it's really, you know, last year when you're the eighth seed, it's really hard to have a rivalry with the one seed. So, I think for fans, the traditional rivalries are the you know the Lakers, uh, the, the Lakers and the Jazz and Denver. And I think with the team, the closest you get to is is Denver and sort of Utah. I would call those one and two. But I, for me, that is just neither of them exist. I mean, they just they really don't have a rivalry right now. Next question comes from Jacob, who sent a long email that basically just I'm boiling it down here. Best NBA team comprised of only players who went to high school in the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to do you one better, Jacob. I'm going to do only Portland. And here is my team. Starting at point guard. Number whatever. I'm not going to do a whole... I was going to do a whole Mark Mason thing. I'm, I'm dialing it back. My point guard is going to be... My point guard is going to be Damon Stoudemire, the pride of Wilson High School. At shooting guard, I'm going to go... Maybe I'm maybe I'm not allowed to do this because he's also kind of a one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play with two guards because I want I I want two ball handlers on the court, okay? So I'm gonna go with Terrell Brandon, Pride of Grant High School. At small forward, I'm gonna go with Terrence Ross of Jefferson High School. At power forward, I'm going to go with AC Green, who went to Benson. And at center, I'm gonna start Kevin Love, who went to Lake Oswego. I know that isn't Portland, but the metro area counts. Okay, haters? And off the bench, I'm going to have Salim Stoudemire of Lake Oswego. I'm going to have Michael Doliak of Jesuit. I'm going to have Fred Jones of Barlow and Terrence Jones of Jefferson. If I'm expanding outside the Portland area and just going Oregon, guys, uh, I'm definitely going to add Kyle Singler and Danny Ainge. But we're not going to Medford and Eugene just yet. We're staying in Portland metro area. Uh, many of you probably do not know, I, I came up in the Oregon media game covering high school sports. So this is right This is right in my wheelhouse. It's like just naming dudes who made the NBA who played uh, high school basketball in the fi- this fine state. Okay, this next question comes from Jesse who asks, there was a moment in the Bulls game where Derek Jones Jr. had an awesome dunk. On the on the replay from the top of the backboard, you see Red Bull gives you wings. Can you can we get him sponsored by Red Bull? It's a match made in heaven. He had some awesome dunks against the um against the Kings. I think he had his best dunk of the year, and I think it was the greatest alley oop pass Damon Lord has ever thrown in a Blazers uniform. Uh, about a half step inside half court through a lob that Derek Jones caught with two hands and threw it down. It was fantastic. Uh yeah, perfect sponsorship. I don't I don't know if I think Red Bull's kind of moved out of the traditional sports sponsorship world, but um, yeah, we'll get we'll get our best people on that. Get Derek Jones that Red Bull money that he deserves. Next question comes from Alex, who asks, 
With Dame and CJ's contract numbers rising quite a bit in the next few years, and the assumption that Gary Trent Jr. will be re-signed to around 15 to 18 million a year, will there be enough money to go around for non-guards to stay a competitive team? If Nurk plays to his potential, will we be able to re-sign him when he becomes a free agent in the summer of 2022? Um... Uh, they'll have Nurk's uh, bird rights. They'll be able to go over the salary cap to sign him um, if they want to. I think the assumption, though, the thing I would push back on here is that I'm not, like, depending on how much Gary Trent Jr. gets offered in the summer, I'm not 100% sure the Blazers retain him. It's very likely. It's the type of thing they would do. Neil tends to draft the guys he likes and then keep them under contract. That is his... um, that has been his M.O., but I think there is a number where Gary Trent Jr. as the third guard on the roster and a guy who, again, I'm going to say it again, hasn't played a lot of minutes next to Damon C.J. this year. Um, I, there is, there's probably a number that's that's too high. 18 might be too high. But Nurk, um, if, if the Blazers are willing to pay the luxury tax, they can keep Nurk. They have the right to ma- they'll have the not to match, but they'll have the right to go over the uh, go over the tax, go over the tax, go over the salary cap to sign him. They can they can get there. Uh, certainly, their salary cap stuff is going to get a little bit tricky as Dame and CJ's um, extensions keep climbing, and and Dame's Dame is going to make a whole bunch of money that limits how much money you can pay his teammates. But uh, Nurk will not be the one who's the casualty of that if the Blazers want him back, and let's assume they do. Next question comes from Jacob, who asks. By record, the Blazers and Nuggets have underperformed relative to their preseason expectations. So this is this is a little old. The Blazers have played multiple games and won them both since then. So uh, this is one of those bump to Thursday, even though it would have been more accurate on Monday type questions. But but Jacob continues. I think many of us view the Nuggets as our peers and and one of our main rivals in the Western Conference. What are the similarities and differences between the team's performances this year? Who was built better for a playoff run? Uh, that's probably up for debate. The Nuggets are currently ninth place, five and six. The Blazers improved to seven and four after winning their fourth straight game against the um, Sacramento Kings. So, I mean, the Nuggets looked incredible in in the playoffs last year, and one of the reasons that they were built for that long run is because of how good Jamal Murray was, and he just hasn't been that consistent this year. Uh, right now, as I'm as I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, so if you listen to this after the games finish up Thursday, it'll change. But right now, Nuggets are the number two offense in the league. Blazers are the third. But then there's that other side of the basketball. The Nuggets are 25th in defense. The Blazers are 24th. Like they're just um, the Blazers have eked out some some games. The Nuggets, you know, they haven't. Um, they just haven't been as good. They've lost a couple. Couple close ones. Lost an overtime game to the to the Mavericks. I think that's basically the difference in in their records. Uh, they're obviously they're very different in that you know the Nuggets run through a center and the Blazers run through a point guard. But uh, other than that, they are really really good offensive teams whose whole whose chances of being competitive in the playoffs rely on them being becoming much better on defense, where neither of them are very good right now. Next question comes from. James in Beaverton, who asks, I'm putting a team of all Blazers in their Blazer Primes to play against other NBA be- NBA's best teams. My starters include Bill Walton, Brandon Roy, Clyde Drexler, and Damian Lillard. I'm looking for a power forward to round out the five. LaMarcus Aldridge has been considered the best power forward Portland has had. Walton would love to have 
Maurice Lucas has his muscle. Buck Williams helped us to get to finals, but he was a little older by the time he got to town. But I'm starting Sheed for sure. He could always hold his own against the likes of Duncan and Garnett, could always hit his outside shots, and never felt like he needed to be a center of attention. But who would you pick as the four, and who would you swap out as anybody else on the team? So this... um, this is a very rosy memory of Rashid Wallace. Always hit his shots and didn't need to be the center of attention is a is a very generous read on what Rashid Wallace's career was like. Um, I'm picking Aldridge. He was the best of those players. Buck Williams, like you said, it's in their Blazers primes. Buck Williams with the Nets was a, was a star. I think there's maybe some debate there. I'm still probably going Aldridge. Uh, Maurice Lucas was really, really good. Um I think, are we playing modern? Like, what are the rules? Like, if we're playing in this era, I'm definitely picking Aldridge. Um, he was, he's just the best of that group. Um, it's, you could make a case for Sheed that I think is um, compelling, but I'm going Aldridge heavy. Last question of the show comes from Tim, who asks, how many people on this roster do you see rolling over into 21-2022? What's my prediction? So, um, this kind of goes back to the will they have money to pay people, right? Uh, they're going to have to make some decisions this this next offseason. I think it's probably a little too early to start worrying about that 11 games into a 70-game season. But um, you ask, I'll answer. Dame, CJ, Nurk, Rocco, Derek Jones, Anthony Simons, Nazir Little, CJ Ellaby. That's eight absolute locks. I think Rodney Hood is very likely to be back. That'd be nine. I think Zach Collins is relatively likely to be back. Just judging based on the way Neil Olshay does business, that's 10. I have no idea about Gary Trent Jr. I think yes. I think yes. But I'm not 100% sure. I would lean to he's the most likely to leave in free agency because he's the most likely to get the most money. He's a very good basketball player. He does think that other teams covet. He plays defense and hits three-pointers. So I'd say eight for sure, nine very likely, 10 if I had to guess, and 11 not out of the question. I don't think Ennis Cantor comes back. I think this is a one-year shot for him. Don't know if Giles comes back. It's hard for me to see. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, I didn't mention him because I, I kind of don't think he'll come back. I don't think he'll he'll play with an, another year, but it's not out of the question. Um, I'm not saying he's definitely going to retire. He doesn't look like a dude who needs to go into retirement, but, you know, he's going to have a reduced role this year. We'll see what he's like in the playoffs. We'll see, you know, we'll kind of just see what he what he wants to do. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets back, if he comes back. I think I'd probably actually put him in sort of that same certainty level as uh, Gary Trent Jr. I, I think he he certainly could, but I'm I'm not I wouldn't he's not a lock by any means. So I guess somewhere between nine and twelve guys. Uh I think there's the reason to think that this team could have a two year window of basically this exact core and you kind of figure out what what this core can do and then you make complementary moves around the edges. Um, you know, so far so decent. They look okay. Um they're winning games. They're heading in the right direction. The offense is awesome. It's right where I thought it would be. The defense um, is not very good yet, but Nurk is looked. Nurk looked like himself for the first time this year. And if Nurk starts to look like himself, the defense can head in the right direction. This can be a you know a slightly below average defense. And if they're a slightly below average defense and the third best offense in the league, they're going to win a bunch of games. That's going to do it for today's show. Do me a favor and tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. 
Talk to you soon.